The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is now going for the green with Daily Roto. Welcome to Going for the Green on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I'm Colin Drew with DailyRoto.com, and I will be hosting a solo pod, hosting myself today. We had special guest Dennis Esser lined up, went through the process, recorded an hour-long podcast, and yours truly forgot to hit, well, didn't forget to hit the record button, but I had a recording malfunction. So, unfortunately, we're going to miss out on all of Dennis Esser's wisdom, but if you want some of that, you should definitely still give him a follow on Twitter at Coach Esser, a lot of great fantasy golf and baseball content from the coach this season. Uh, As far as Daily Roto, we got the Masters coming up. So uh, we definitely are excited. We have the Masters probabilities that are live right now. The fantasy projections are going live later this week, and then we'll be updated next week once we have the full field. And if you are interested in checking out the content for the Houston Open and the Masters, you can save 10% with the promo Augusta. So if you got a week-long pass today or tomorrow, you'll have that access all through next week through Tuesday or Wednesday, and you can access the Masters content and the Houston Open content. So it's a really fun time to be part of the Fantasy Golf product this week, and make sure you save 10% with the promo Augusta. And the other thing I wanted to point out is that MLB DFS is starting on Thursday. We got MLB opening day, and I know Drew and Mike are really hard at work putting together the final touches on the projections and on that product really excited about what the team has this year between the lineup optimizer new floor and ceiling projections and a lot of the work that i've seen go into it i know they both had good years last year and so i'm looking forward to the mlb season you can save 10 percent off mlb with the promo save if you're interested in that but uh, enough about that let's get on to the golf uh started with a recap of last week's wgc match play Then we'll go on and touch on the Shell Houston Open and take an early look at the Masters as part of today's Going for the Green podcast on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. A lot going on in the fantasy golf world these past couple weeks. I know last week was a really fun one. The new DFS format for the WGC match play was going on. We also had the Corrales Championship down in Punta Cana. And then right now we got the Houston Open and Masters lineup so we can put together. So tons of stuff going on in the fantasy golf world. Of course, the big news last week was Bubba Watson, who uh, ended up winning the WGC match play, following the same path that Dustin Johnson set last year heading into Augusta, where he had won at Riviera, then wins the WGC match play. And Bubba's certainly going to be a trendy pick for the Masters as a two-time champion who's got uh, you know a little bit erratic course history at Augusta, but has obviously shown the ability to win when his game's on. And it definitely seems like his game is on. But it was a guy that is tough to figure out because you know his long-term data over the past five or 10 years, obviously is a world-class golfer, but his game was so off last year. And it, it was tough to tease out how much of that was attributable to weight loss, how much was attributable to the equipment changes or the pink ball that he was playing, and how much was just mental. Obviously, Bubba's a pretty mental guy uh, and it seems like he's you know put last year behind him and it's one of the things that is tough sometimes with the database projections is to figure out what data to, to count what data to throw out but but Bubba will certainly be a trendy pick uh, Justin Thomas also um, I know showing really strong form coming into the Masters as well priced up near Dustin Johnson but in general though WGC from a fantasy perspective for DraftKings was a really fun sweat there was carnage everywhere I think less than 1% of lineups got six of six golfers through the group stage. 
and a lot of teams were able to cash with just three group winners. I know I cashed a couple lineups with just Alex Norton and two other group winners, and it ended up being a, a week where you didn't have to have a lot to turn a profit, but if you happen to be one of those 1% who got six of six, it was an easy path to a lot of money. So that was definitely something that was interesting. I think with the match play, um, it, it was kind of like the cut sweat was epic. But then by the, the time Saturday rolled around, you kind of knew whether or not you were in good place or whether or not you were dead. So a little bit anticlimactic at the end. But I'm really excited to see that format. I hope they're able to use that format at the event down in New Orleans this year. And I also think it should be a great format for the future. I can't imagine how fun it would be to put together DFS lineups for something like the Ryder Cup uh, just load up against the gutless Euros. And I think that will be something that hopefully DraftKings is able to put together and roll out for us. As for this week, we're on to the Shell Houston Open, which is played at the Golf Club of Houston, a par 72 course at almost 7,500 yards. Uh, it's the 12th longest course in par adjusted distance that they'll play on tour. But as far as difficulty, it's sort of middle of the road. Um, it looks like, you know, as for a par 72, it's obviously got four par fives. The par fives here play a little bit longer than most with how they're set up. And for the most part, only a handful of eagles can be found in those holes. So I think when it comes to weekend golf, a lot of times I do chase the par five scoring. I think a lot of birdies are still on the par fives um, at this event. So uh, I would just say that maybe the eagles and the bonuses there will be a little bit fewer and further between this week. Uh, but the course plays average as far as difficulty. So definitely not a birdie fest. Definitely not uh, going to play like the U.S. Open out there. The other thing to keep an eye on is the weather. So the early weather reports are definitely uh, trending towards it being a week where weather is impactful to the event. Uh, whether or not that means it's going to be impactful for DFS lineups as far as the specific side of the draw getting a favorable advantage, it's going to be pretty tough to figure that one out until late in the day on Wednesday. But um, if the weather is as bad as is possibly indicated, one of the risks will be whether or not they try to shorten the event or whether or not they make it an event that finishes on Monday. And obviously with the Masters looming, some of the favorites who are further back on the leaderboard uh, might not have a reason to stick around if it's going to put their preparation for a major um, at risk. So I think that's one of the storylines that I'm interested in seeing how it develops over the next 24 hours. But as far as the course overview, uh, Golf Club of Houston talked a little bit about its length. If you go over to datagolf.com, obviously datagolf powers the projections at Daily Roto, but they also have a bunch of great research tools on their site. And one of the tools that I like the most is the historic course breakdown as far as what drives the variation in scores amongst the different strokes gained buckets. So what they found is that the golf club at Houston skews more heavily in strokes gained off the tee than your average course, representing around 20% of strokes gained versus a baseline of 15% on tour. So if you are using things like weighted stat models or you're trying to separate ties between players, I think that giving a slight bump to strokes gained off the tee as far as what you typically would in a weekly basis makes some sense this week. Because strokes gained off the tee takes on a little bit of a bigger share, this slightly devalues the strokes gained approach in around the green metrics relative to tour averages. So obviously strokes gained approach is always going to be something that's a critical piece of the model. Um, even at this event, it still represents some 30% plus of the, the strokes that we're looking at here uh, with putting also being equal, but just a slightly heavier boost to the off the tee play this week. And I think that shows up a little bit in some of the golfers that have a strong course history at this event. 
Getting into some of those course history players, I think the first one that jumps off the page as one of the more obvious course history plays this week is Russell Henley, who's made the cut in all five appearances here, including four finishes inside of the top 10. And of course, that win last year. Russell Henley is number one rated in the course history as far as his course history index um, and strokes gained over 20 rounds. So building up a decent sized sample, he's going to be a really popular play this week. And that will definitely be an interesting challenge to wrestle with that we'll get into a little bit more when we talk about the specific uh, players in the pricing tiers. So Ricky Fowler, also a strong course history here, lingered on the leaderboard late last year, six of six, making the cut here in three top tens. Uh, Daniel Berger, three of three, making the cut and two finishes inside the top five. And then J.B. Holmes and Chris Kirk also pop up in the course history index as far as strokes gained. Phil Mickelson is another interesting guy who who has a, a interesting course history. 11 of 12 as far as made cuts, but just two top 10s. And I know Phil is uh, obviously a character in golf, and he's talked about this a lot as a master's tune-up and really trying to build everything through Augusta. And it definitely seems like that is the case. You know, he's talked about trying to hit shots sometimes that aren't even optimal for the hole, but he knows that that's a shot that he's going to need next week. And perhaps that's the reason why he always seems to play on the weekend, but never seems to to finish as high as he might um, compared to his sort of career baseline. So, Uh, Phil's a guy that I feel like I would still trust in cash games this week, but uh, from the narrative perspective, maybe the upside isn't there in tournaments as far as it it might be typically um, on a week. Obviously, course history in general is something that is a a really low weight in the data golf fantasy model, Um, but some of the outliers like Russell Henley will be challenging things that we'll have to figure out just because course history influences Vegas odds. It influences ownership and it influences the DraftKings pricing. And so uh, at times I feel like you could be, you know, a profitable player, almost just fading course history alone. But when someone has elite course history like Russell Henley, it's going to be something that we'll have to wrestle with this week when we're looking at the golf selections. So as we get into the plays for this week, uh, 10K plus is going to be an interesting range. Uh, Usually proves to be a pivotal range. A lot of times there ends up being someone that congregates or or is eating up the lion's share of the ownership, but I'm not sure that's going to be the case this week. So Ricky Fowler, Justin Rose, Jordan Spieth, Henrik Stenson, and Phil Mickelson are the golfers that check in above $10,000. Of those, Spieth, Rose, and Fowler are all above $11,000 on DraftKings, and so they definitely eat up a lot of the salary cap. I would say pricing this week definitely feels tighter than it does on your average week, and especially up at the top of the board. Maybe if you're going a little bit more balanced, you can get comfortable with things. But at the top of the board, um, and each of these guys, I think there's you know reasons to to buy into all of them. Uh, Fowler, obviously a decent track record here. Uh, his game has started to come together uh, as far as tee to green play. He's gained strokes tee to green in every event this year, and he has generally putted poorly. But we know Fowler's track record of a putter is is a, a strong one, and so I think he's you know the the favorite in the betting markets um, for the most part. And he is the fourth or fifth rated golfer in the data golf fantasy projections, depending on whether or not you're looking at the probabilities or the fantasy model. So. The one thing I'm curious as the week goes on is just the ownership that Fowler is seeing because his form hasn't been as good as far as finishing position to Justin Rose, who's finished inside the top 10 in nine of his last 10 events. Um, So I expect Rose to be the highest owned between the the trio of Fowler, Rose, and Spieth. 
just because there are less question marks. But I'm curious to see how much they separate and whether Fowler ends up in, you know, around 10% ownership or if he hovers in the high teens. And a lot of that's going to drive my decision amongst these golfers. We do have Justin Rose as the number one rated golfer in the field. Definitely feels like his floor is really strong this week. Data Golf has him as 52% chance to finish inside the top 20. And my early ownership projections have him around 21% owned. So um, between those three guys, like when you compare the T20 odds to the ownership projections, it doesn't seem like there's a standout as far as leverage. So I think that it seems like the ownership is going to be pretty efficient as far as the top rated golfers. Um, where the you know better plays are going to be slightly heavier owned, and you're not going to be able to get a ton of leverage out of that. So I do think that in general, um, you know, 85, 90% of lineups will start with, you know, maybe 80 or 85% will start with one of those three golfers, and then a couple guy lineups will round out or start with Stenson or Mickelson. So um, Phil, like I mentioned, I think he makes sense for building lineups that are kind of optimal to get six to six guys through the cut. I think his upside might not be there this week as far as my lineups. Um, And then Stenson is another guy that showed that his game was back on and seems to be rounding into shape for Augusta. And it's a little bit easier to build lineups around Stenson or Phil this week. Uh, Stenson and Phil, I know Phil checks in as a stronger fantasy play just because in a DraftKings format, I think that if they finish tied, Phil's always going to make more birdies and and more bogeys than Henrik will. Uh, But both of those guys are around 48% or 50% to finish inside the top 20. So for the elite golfers in general this week, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of leverage or things that are being, you know, overlooked. Um, If anything, I'd say it's a pretty efficient week and one where you could either consider fading the entire top and going with like a balanced contrarian build or where you can kind of just um, play the guy that you're most comfortable with because I don't think that there are, at least early on this week, I don't think that there are any big mistakes being made in the 10K and plus range. As we dip down into the $9,000 range, things definitely get a little bit interesting. Uh, That's the range where Russell Henley falls, and we had talked about him. Uh, If you look through this range, I think you'd be shocked, uh, you know, without, take, take the event out of the picture, I think you'd be shocked to see Russell Henley and Luke List priced in the exact same range as Rafael Cabrera-Bello, Matt Kuchar, Tony Finau, and Daniel Berger, who each carry a higher pedigree than Henley and List. But the early sentiment is that Henley and List are going to be fairly high owned this week. Uh, The tags on FanshareSports.com, which flow through to the ownership projections we offer at Daily Roto, uh, show that a lot of sentiment and tout interest is building up around List. And then Henley is another guy that we talked about. His course history here is so strong that people seem like they can't get away from it. Um, Our projections aren't nearly as fond on List and Henley as the rest of the DFS markets are. And while we see them as fine plays, we think that they're overpriced and will probably be overowned in this field. And so List and Henley are unlikely to make my fantasy lineups this week. Instead, I'll be looking to this range for a lot of leverage plays, either as secondary plays to, to the guys that we talked about above, or to start building out and grabbing multiple of them for balanced contrarian rosters. So Daniel Berger, Rafael Cabrera-Bello, Matt Kuchar, and Tony Finau are all guys that I have a lot of interest in this week. 
think that we have RCB projected as the highest chance to finish inside of the top 20 and is a comparable value in the fantasy projections to Berger, Kucher, and Finau. But really, they're all going to be making my my rosters. I think have them in the mid-teens as far as ownership, which seems pretty fair, and anywhere ranging from 33% to 37% odds to finish inside the top 20. This quartet of golfers is definitely one that I'm going to be looking to as I diversify and build um, a bunch of different rosters, mixing and matching the pairs of them so that if either of them happen to finish one, two, or or both inside the top five or top 10, that I've got kind of the right combinations just because they all project kind of right in that same range as it relates to probabilities and balancing out the ownership projections this week. Of these guys, I probably feel the the safest about Kucher as far as being able to make the cut. And I probably feel the, the best about Finau as far as the upside. I think that his off the tee play is something that um, shows up as being a good fit for this course. And so that's a guy that I'll be looking to a lot in tournament lineups along with you know Kucher and RCB. One thing to be careful of if you are using strokes gain data, I know that they do have it for some of the uh, matches at the WGC last week but i think with the way that the holes uh break down and people conceding holes and things like that it really screws up the way that they're using the data so i would be careful in using the stroke scheme data as far as how people were playing at the world golf championship match play event i think the other thing that you need to be careful of with that event is reading too much into the finishing positions i think you can read into like a deep run like bubba had or jt or norin a little bit more than you can someone who might have got outed in the group round because uh, it didn't take a lot to to get outed in the group round obviously um you know a lot of those golfers who did advance had to win two or even three matches and the other thing you if unless you're digging deep that you're not really paying attention to is um whether or not they they won matches because they played well or whether or not they won matches because their opponents played poorly. So in a match play event, both of those things can happen. You can win because you make 10 birdies or you can win because your opponent makes 10 bogeys. And uh, I think leaning on the results of the match play is a dangerous one unless you're willing to do the extra work to dig in deep. But anyways, moving on to the next range that we have, we got the $8,000 range uh, around 10 or so golfers priced in this range. Another range that'll probably be pivotal pivotal this week. I think Charles Howell III is one of the guys that I'm you know, comfortable with in cash game lineups. Uh, really strong off the tee. So last 10 or so events off the tee, gaining strokes consistently. And, and that's what we kind of come to expect. Um, price tag feels a little bit high on Chucky 36 as it relates to his upside. Uh, so he's more likely to be kind of like the third or fourth golfer in a balanced contrarian team for me than he is like the second golfer in uh, a more stars and scrubs type build. I'd rather get up to Kucher, Finau, RCB, Berger if I can. Uh, But I think Howell is in a range where he's, you know, around 30% to finish inside the top 20 and it's got a decent fantasy projection. Probably the biggest puzzle for me this week is going to be Steve Stricker. Uh, So, Stricker, if you listen to this podcast, I I feel like we bet him to finish inside the top 20 almost every week and finally got there last event with Stricker's finish um, at the Valspar Championship where he finished 12th. The weeks prior to that, he had fallen off just outside the top 20, 26th at AT AT&T Pebble Beach and 31st at the Waste Management 
Phoenix Open. It's just an uncomfortable price tag to pay for Stricker. So I, in general, I trust the process. I trust the data that goes into the data golf fantasy projections. And Stricker's a guy that I want exposure to this week. I think he's going to carry around 10% ownership. And based on the top 20 odds, he definitely provides a lot of leverage if some of the other chalky golfers in this range happen to miss the cut. Um, so my gut is a little bit uncomfortable loading up on Stricker. I'll probably personally cap my ownership of him a little bit and look for some other leverage plays in this range. I think Emiliano Grillo is one of those guys that I'll be looking to for leverage. Uh, definitely have lower odds of him finishing inside the top 20 at 27%, but he's going to carry low ownership if the early um, results are indicating. He was a popular play last week and didn't deliver in Punta Cana for his 11K price tag. But he is a guy that, with strong off the tee and approach play, can pop in a given week. And I certainly don't consider him in a different class of golfer to someone like Keegan Bradley, who looks like he's going to carry twice as high ownership this week. I think anyone who plays kind of on strokes gained models is going to recognize that Byung-Hun An and Keegan Bradley have really strong strokes gained off the tee play and on approach uh, in general over the the course of the tour season. Uh, both guys can be erratic and tilting putters, and it seems like both guys are going to be chalky this week. So around 16% ownership between Benian and Keegan uh, each, and around the same odds to finish inside the top 20 at around 26%. Uh, so our projections like them fine as far as plays, but when you compare that to the ownership, it feels like they're providing a little bit less leverage on the field. And so those are guys that I'd be comfortable fading um, in three max type builds uh, if, you know, just because of the preference that we have slightly to guys that are priced nearby. And the guys that I would be comfortable going underweight on in some of the GPPs, I think there's a couple ways it can work out. One is by your golfer out finishing them. And the other way it could work out is just if they happen to miss a cut, which with those guys is definitely something that is a possibility. So um, a couple of the other guys in this 8K range that are interesting to me, seems like it's a week where maybe Duffner will carry a little bit lower ownership. Uh, and another guy is Brant Snedker at $8,000, who's projected for around 9% ownership and has similar odds to finish inside the top 20 as Benny Ahn and Keegan do. So I think that Sneds would be a, a better leverage play in GPPs that I'd be looking to. Um, and I think that he's, you know, a cash viable play as well at $8,000 and might not have uh, kind of the, the massive... Uh, fantasy scoring and streak type stuff, but it seems like that's a week where uh, maybe par is a little bit of a uh, better score than than it is on some weeks. As we get into the $7,000 range, this is a range that ends up being crit critical for DraftKings because the ownership ends up being fairly concentrated in this range. Uh, the way that DraftKings pricing has been set up recently, there's rarely value or ownership that's happening in the $7,000 or sub $7,000 punt range. And that leaves a lot of the ownership congregating and some of the, the contrarian plays available in the seven dollars to $8,000 range. So the highest owned that I have so far early in this week are Scott Piercy, Thomas Peters, Ches Reeve, Ian Poulter, and James Hahn. So I think that each of those guys are candidates to get upwards of 15%, some, sometimes 20% ownership, depending on how the rest of the week shakes out. If you believe the probabilities that we have on Piercy and Peters, uh, that would make them candidates for a fade uh, because their top 20 probabilities are around 20% or so. And at 15% ownership, 
that's just something in tournaments that is an unlikely event to happen and doesn't provide you with a ton of leverage in the fact that it does happen. So I think Peters is one that is the hardest um, because of his strong off the tee play and his ability to kind of have high variance finishes. He's probably the one I'd have the, the most trouble fading outright um, because I think from a DraftKings perspective, he'll end up outscoring people that finish in a similar position to him. Ches Reeve seems like he's kind of more of the good chalk. I know his price got up into the high $8,000 for a while here, um, and now it's back down to a more comfortable $7,300 range. We've got him 26% to finish inside the top 20 in a DraftKings projection of around 60 fantasy points. So even at 14% ownership, I'm more comfortable playing uh, Ches at 14% than I am uh, Piercy for a couple hundred bucks more in 15% ownership um, this week. But I do think there are a lot of leverage plays that you can find at single-digit ownership. I know Russell Knox is the guy that I've been sprinkling into my lineups uh, that's been consistently kind of sub-5% ownership. Um, lingered on the leaderboard a couple weeks ago before falling off, but generally has shown strong tee to green play on, on the whole this season. And then Kokrak is another guy that, on the course, that might benefit guys with strong off the tee play. I think that Kokrak will probably carry single-digit ownership and and Jamie Lovemark is projecting for single-digit ownership early on as well. So I guess I'm more likely to try to look for some of those leverage plays than I am to to pay up um, and pay up for the ownership of Piercy and Peters. But I think those guys are still viable and they project well. Um, and they're they're like I said with Peters because I feel like sometimes he has the ability to win an event more so than some of these other guys. It feels like he would be a, a tougher fade for me. And then the last two guys that I want to mention in this $7,000 range, both at the same price, around $7,100, James Hahn and Martin Keimer, I think make for good plays this week. Um, Hahn, 25% to finish inside the top 20. He's going to carry around 10% ownership, if not a little bit higher by the time the week goes on. But I think that he still makes for a solid play and is an example of good chalk. Um, Keimer is the other guy that I have interest in. Uh, I know he's recovering from injury, and so that's going to prevent me from loading up too much. Uh, and He withdrew at the Honda Classic, but... Prior to that, he hadn't missed a cut on the year, made 80% of his cuts the last two seasons. So I think in a weak field event at the bottom, this is definitely a strong field at top, but it seems like it's a weak field event at the bottom. And I think Keimer at 7,100 and 5% right now projected ownership is going to be a strong play in all formats this week and somebody that I'll definitely be overweight on. Like I mentioned earlier, the, the pricing on DraftKings is definitely dicey below $7,000, and it's really hard to find value. And so I found myself really not playing guys um, priced that cheap for the most part this year. I think in MME, you know, you can make a, you know, rationalize trying to sprinkle some of these guys in. But for me, who's more focused on three max single entry and, and some of the higher buy-in GPPs with fewer entries, it's not like a range that I felt like the need to go. So Scott Stallings is the only golfer that we have projected with above 15% odds to finish inside the top 20. I think all of these guys are going to carry really low single digit ownership. Bo Hostler was another guy that sort of pinged our radar when we were talking with Coach Esser earlier. Um, but all of them seem more like enemy sprinkles than they do like guys that you want to put into a bunch of lineups or guys that you're comfortable getting through the cut in a three max type build. And so I think for the most part, I'm going to end up avoiding the $7,000 and below range again this week. And I can't say there are too many times this year that it's come back to burn me. Um, 
But that's going to do it for the Houston Open content for this week. We'll get into the Masters in just a second here. Like I said, we do have a promo code 10% off with the code Augusta if you are interested in checking out the fantasy content. I'll also have a free Strokes Gain Correlation article up on Augusta. Uh, definitely something that I've tried to keep tabs on over the years as far as which Strokes Gain metrics are leading indicators into success at Augusta, correlating the different buckets into uh, their correlation with finishing position for the guys who finished inside the top 20. And I've found a really strong correlation between strokes gained off the tee and finishing position at Augusta, more so than your average tour course. So that's one of the things that I'm going to be looking to weighing in on the the strokes gained um, models if I look to try to find a course fit or identify potential sleepers. So uh, it, it should be a, a good thing in general to lean on. Obviously, the stroke gained approach is still something that shows a, shows a strong correlation as well. But I think that a lot of people think about the success that you know Spieth has had at Augusta and start looking at it as a putting course. But when you look at just the variance of putting in general, uh, it doesn't end up working out that way. So the strongest correlated metric of the strokes gained buckets was strokes gained off the tee with on average a 0.23 correlation over the last seven or eight years strokes gained approach at 0.15 and then putting at 0.06 so definitely going to be looking um, to try to identify guys who are really good ball strikers using the strokes gained metrics and not the traditional ball striking metrics One of the other things we'll definitely talk into or talk about a lot on next week's Masters podcast is the impact of early pricing. So DraftKings has released the early pricing for this tournament, and they'll also go in and add additional guys to the field next week once the qualifications and everything is complete. So that early pricing does two main things. The one is it opens up easy value spots. This is guys who are underpriced when the pricing was released and have since shown improvements in their game or their recent form. The other thing it does because of the easy value spots is it creates congested ownership. So I think both of those things are going to make the Masters a really interesting tournament week. Uh, obviously, the Millionaire Maker is a unique beast in its own. Mike Leone had a really strong finish there last year on Matt Kuchar's um, hole-in-one and Sergio Garcia winning, who he we went 100% in on. So he'll get into a lot of Millionaire Maker thoughts and theory there. Um, but the impact of the early pricing is is already showing through. And two of the guys that I think will be among the heaviest owned players are Tiger Woods and Bubba Watson. Uh, because the, the big things that I've found have driven ownership beyond things like touts, uh, sentiment, and things like that are the Vegas odds uh, to win. And Tiger Woods and Bubba Watson both check that box as being underpriced to their Vegas odds, as well as the course history. And so obviously Tiger's course history at Augusta is world-class. Bubba, though, two wins as well, is something that people remember. Uh, Bubba does not have the same consistency at Augusta, but I think people usually look past that because he has won the event two times. So the the form, the price tags at $10,000 for Woods and mid-8Ks for Bubba and the course history, I think, is going to lead to those guys being really popular bills. I imagine a ton of teams in the Millionaire Maker are going to start with Tiger and Bubba. Obviously, Dustin Johnson had won at the Genesis Open and at the match play heading into Augusta last year and was the betting favorite. And Bubba following that exact same path as far as the victories and his course history at Augusta is going to make him one of the favorites in the betting markets as well, probably just outside of the top five, maybe it's like seven to ten range. 
So I think those will be the highest owned guys up top. I can also see Zach Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau carrying heavy ownership uh, based on their underpricings relative to the betting markets and based on the course history that Zach Johnson has here as a former champion and Bryson flashing up. If you remember back to when he popped on the leaderboard uh, late on a Sunday as an amateur during his maiden trip to Augusta. So I'm expecting both of those guys will end up pretty popular and they're going to be interesting conversations Next week, when we get into Augusta and the DraftKings specific strategy uh, for the Masters, for the Million Maker, but also just other GPPs that people are going to be playing in. So I think for me, the DJ is still the favorite. Uh, I'm hoping he'll end up low owned when all is said and done. I hope a lot of the ownership floods to these other guys because I think DJ's strokes gain T to green has just been so strong. I was looking the other day and he hadn't finished outside of the top 15 on tour and stroke skiing tee to green since the 2013 season. So that remarkable consistency, I think, should make him the favorite. And it's just going to take a couple a couple breaks in the right direction for DJ to, to put on the green jacket. So that's going to do it for this week's Going for the Green on the Fantasy Sports Network. Uh, be sure to give us a review on iTunes, rate us, and that gives us uh, you know, a lot of good feedback and a lot of help as far as building our audience. If you are interested in checking out our fantasy golf products, make sure to enter the code Augusta to save 10% off. And we will see you next week on Going for the Green where we're going to talk about Augusta, our favorite value plays, sleepers, and millionaire maker strategy with Mike Leone. <laughs>